welcome my friends to another episode of Is That Really Legal? with Eric Rubin. Today you are going to meet Jessica Hansen. I met Jessica Hansen when we were both professional actors and we were in a production of Into the Woods and it was amazing. She was one of the evil stepsisters. I knew right away when I met her she was funny, smart, brilliantly talented and we haven't talked in a long time and it was so great to get back together with her. She is, in fact, the voice of NPR underwriting in Washington, D.C. She's been doing that for seven years. She's their in-house voice coach. She's a professional actress. She has created an art uh, theater company. She has done a lot of very cool things. Um, and she has lived all kinds of places, from Washington, D.C. to the Midwest to Alaska. And we talk all about all those things and the creative journey that she has had including having a child, which is a creative journey. Uh, I have not done it, but I've heard it is, and I've seen it, so yes. Um, you know what else is creative? Uh, getting an Abe's muffin and putting it in your face. You will suddenly have a burst of creativity. You, I cannot guarantee that, but it sounds good, right? If you love this podcast, rate us, subscribe to it, share it with your friends, and if you have questions, you can contact me. There's a form at www. Dot is that really legal.com and I promise to get back to you personally. Um, we're going to continue to have great guests like Jessica. Um, give me more ideas of who you'd like to talk to or hear from. But right now, sit back, relax, and meet Jessica Hansen. I'm so glad to see you. It's super, it's super crazy. And after all these years, um, I love small world moments when we find each other again. It's lovely. Uh, so do I. So Jessica Hansen, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. And uh, we already started, which is fine by me. Um, I haven't seen you since we were in just a little background. You were finishing up your MFA, your Master's of Fine Arts at Brandeis University. Yep. And you and I were in a production, an equity production of Into the Woods. Yep. <laughs> you were a ridiculously funny stepsister. Thank you. Uh, I you played that exact same stepsister in a production maybe a year before graduate school. And uh, when Rick cast me in that role, he said, I think I already offered the other actress the stepsister that you haven't played. So I'm sorry for that. <laughs> And I was like, low left, <laughs> right? I know these notes. <laughs> which, which, for people who don't know, when you're doing Sondheim, is uh, at least a little head start. Um, to back up, you know, that was my first Sondheim. And I had sung professionally in an acapella group. I'd sung all my life. I was in my 40s, probably. Um, and I had done tons of theater. And, you know, you did too. Probably, you know, when we're growing up, we do lots of musical theater. But to suddenly be doing, and by the way, Into the Woods sounds like it's not that complicated to most people. Sounds delightful. <laughs> but when you're doing, there's a point, well, there's several points, and it's usually the midnights. And if you don't know what I mean, get the, get the show, watch it, listen to it. There's these especially spooky and interesting parts that all the cast comes out for. Mm -hmm. Um and we're singing, you know, you're staged, so you're not standing next to the baritone that you share a note with, or the, are you an alto or a soprano? I'm a soprano, I can't remember. I'm a soprano and um, <sighs> I think I used to be a proper soprano, and now I would say I'm a, a mezzo. <laughs> and I think on one particular thing, I'm, I was standing next to Cinderella's dead mother, mm -hmm. who was a super high soprano, maybe. Mm -hmm. And we're, we couldn't be singing more different notes and in a strange, like, it's not a third or a fifth, you know, like no. a classic harmony. It's we like were like maybe or like a half <laughs> step. <laughs> right. And yeah. so you like have to have your note as like the same as a body part. It's got to be so deeply embedded in you. And of course the lyrics change in every midnight. The items, the lists of items change with every it's the same melody maybe or maybe three notes change in the melody line. Thank you Sondheim for being complex and rich and beautiful and making these really intelligent and creative musical choices. It's 
hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, I'm I'm super grateful that I got to do it with such an amazing cast. And we're gonna we're gonna do a dive into what's where you came from, what you did, and where you're going. But as long as we're on the Sondheim thing, that show was my first. Uh, I think that was my first equity show, and um, at that age, I'd done tons of theater. But I hadn't done any, and I'd done sort of semi-pro, whatever. But I had not worked with people who were Broadway people before. And um, I had no idea the caliber of people, or if not Broadway, Broadway worthy. So, yeah. yeah, so like um, there are some Boston people we were in that show with who have, who've stayed in Boston, mm-hmm. which, by the way, is not a failing. There's a lot of great theater there <laughs> yeah. in equity, right? Oh, yeah. So, like, the two people I just think of off the top of my head, Lee Barrett, uh, we used to call her America's Treasure. <laughs> and a lovely human. Right. And uh, Amy, um, mm-hmm. one yeah. of my, Donna, Tardy, thank you, mm-hmm. who I think that was the show where she decided to go pro. I think she was like an environmental engineer. Amy, I have to have you on if you ever listen to this. Because her, I mean... She, at the time, I don't think read music. And she's got one of the biggest parts in a Sondheim show, which is not an easy part, Cinderella. Anyway, um, and then there were people, Evan Harrington, who was the baker. I saw again when I just, I stumbled into him watching Avenue Q on Broadway. He was in Avenue Q. So I stayed after and said, hi, this is pre-pandemic. He was, you know, the chubby comedian husband of the Asian woman. I won't sing anything from that show because it's crazy. And awesome. I love that show. He was great. And then I saw him again in the musical of Once, which I wept like a baby, like I do in the movie. Do you know that movie and that show? It's really this guy who creates these movies once, and there were a couple other movies. It's all about um, love between a man and a woman that ends up not being romantic, but just like you can love somebody without being in a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. And the music's wonderful, and it freaking kills me. So he was in that. You look um, like you're getting a little misty right now. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't take much. I'm a very emotional person. Uh, and then after the pandemic, Holly, my wife, who you haven't met because I was married to somebody else back in the day. <laughs> so was I. Um, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. We can talk. We're not talking about that as you wish. But you you added another human into your life. Yes. Quite I, literally I, I from your horse. body. Yep. yep. And I she is adorable person. from what I can tell. She is. A, I am a, the luckiest person on the planet. I was given by the gods above. I was giving a really spectacular human and I have tried not to screw her up any more than is absolutely required by a mother. We're going to get into that too. But I just want to say after the pandemic ended officially, unofficially, whatever, Holly and I who live in Brooklyn, we're like, we're going to all the theater. We're just going to everything. And I was like, can we see things that like aren't cool? Like that are like, out-of-town tourist things, because I've never seen um, The Lion King. I've never seen Wicked. So we went to see them, and, you know, I'm crying like a baby in these shows. And then she's like, we're seeing, we're going to go see Hamilton. And we spent some serious money, folks, even though it wasn't the original cast. Well, I'm there, and I'm like, oh, Miguel Cervantes. I know him. The guy who played (laughs) Jack is playing Alexander Hamilton. Oh. oh, and crushing it. Oh my gosh, I stayed after, me. but they wouldn't let you stay after because of the COVID restrictions. Oh, yeah. Not that he would remember me necessarily. It's been a long would. time. But he was. We were extremely fun. funny. Of course he would remember us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've tried to get a hold of him. I contacted his manager or agent. I haven't heard back. Uh, I want to get him on the show. I want to get Evan on the show. Um, I might have Todd on the show. You know, Todd's oh. not doing theater at all. Oh, uh, Todd, so I think that he made some life choices that work better for him. And I won't go right. into it, but Fine. you know what that's like. I yep. mean, you have to do it. Yeah. Uh, he's he is a brilliantly talented man. And Todd, if you're listening, um, we should do this anyway. He and I still like need to get a coffee together. He is such a warm and lovely soul. 
I think that there was a time in his life where it was a little, the energy was wrong and now he's really happy, which is good. Yeah. And I think he like, you know, we have these relationship changes. I think he found a good one. Good. And isn't it amazing how a good one can make your life better and a bad one can like just throw you off the rails? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't, and I don't want to crap on our previous relationships. I did know sort of the ex for you, but it's been forever and I didn't really yeah. know well, yeah. but yeah. Um, so now that we've reminisced and there's lots of more people who were in that show who were amazing. I'm just saying that lots of people from that show were on Broadway, like after that show. That's and, wonderful. I did not know that. And that is so fabulous to hear. It was a great show and it was a good vibe all around. And the professionalism was, you know, top notch. People were so skilled and also such wonderful people. It's lovely to do such hard work. You know, when you're in a rehearsal room for nine, 10 hours, 11 hours a day. Yeah, but also right, just right, for two weeks. That... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, we're, we're going up when? It's like, okay, so the first week and a half were just music rehearsals. Yeah. And my first thought was, well, this is going to be boring. This is not much to do. And I, by the way, had literally the smallest part. I was Cinderella's father. And the tiniest part, but even with the tiniest part, all the group singing was like, oh, my God. There's a lot. So anyway, uh, we got on his feet. We had a lot of fun. Uh, but some things have happened since then. Uh, but I want to back up because Definitely. I think you are back where you came from. Yeah. Did you start out in D.C.? So I grew up in D.C. As, as a little girl. I was here until I was seven. And then uh, my mother changed careers. And so we moved from the capital city of the nation with Smithsonian museums and embassies and people from around the world to a town of 400 people in Northern Wisconsin. <laughs> I do not recommend. <laughs> Probably some wardrobe changes too. <laughs> some wardrobe changes for sure. Um, Let's see, DC uh, occasionally gets snow. And when it does, the whole town just freaks out and closes. Oh yeah. It shuts down and then, and they wait for it to melt. There's no, they don't have the infrastructure to remove the snow. When we know that something is coming, maybe salt trucks will go out in advance, but they're not really good at, they don't understand how that works. And so the salt trucks go out like three days in advance and it, it it's not, it's not DC's strength. And I know you, you lived in the Boston area for a while because of your MFA, but Wisconsin Snow is a lifestyle up there, especially northern Wisconsin. Yeah. And then I graduated from high school in Alaska where there are snowbanks, you know, as high as your shoulders in May. So yeah. I didn't know the Alaska thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I have to tell you, tell me if this is accurate. Um, and this may be my prejudice being a New Yorker. And although I lived in Boston for like 20 years and I'm back in New York. My feeling about Alaska is there's just a certain kind of crazy just below the surface <laughs> or maybe above the surface <laughs> is it because like you're so far like you're almost canadian or russian or is it because like the days uh half the year are really short at where what is it like it's just a whole yeah, other vibe there, up there, there i'm told of, i haven't even been by the way there are, there are a couple of like okay this is gross generalization but uh, but we, we're up for it at least for comedy value <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um it's attractive to certain types of people right because it's so vast and there are so few people the kinds of people that want to go to a place like that you know end up being you know the people who just love the wilderness and you know want to be outdoors the people who hate people and want to be away from all the other people um, the people who are artists and like feed their souls from the landscape and just want to like do their creative thing in this space. Um, and then there are the people that are paid to be there, right? I mean, <laughs> you have to pay people a lot of money to live there, right? You have to pay teachers a ton of money to go up there. And so there are certain professions that get paid really well. And the state of Alaska, I think they still do this, but they used to anyway, give you a dividend. There was this big oil fund, right? And they'd give you a dividend every year. And yeah, like there's so, no state taxes because they make so much money from the right. oil. And so they would pay each resident, you know, somewhere between 800 and two grand a year just for living there. Thank you for living here. The cost of living's high. 
It's hard. It's expensive to get anywhere else. Here's two grand. <laughs> yeah, no, I had a friend who did a production of Tommy up there in mm. one of the either Anchorage or Nome or like one of the big cities. I'm laughing when oh, I say big cities. Yeah. And he said you you drive to the end of the street and then it just ends. It does. It does. The roads, there are many, many towns in Alaska that are not connected by any roads. And then there's a road in Alaska that goes from one town to a different town and is not connected to anything else. So you can drive from the one town to the other and back again. And that's it. <laughs> wow. You guys kind of get on that infrastructure thing. Uh, so I mean, it's called the last frontier, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's meant to be wilderness <laughs> well and it is i mean i've i've seen movies about it mm -hmm. and um the most memorable is that one where there that kid dies from poisoning himself he's like not prepared and he goes off into the wilderness oh, yeah. what it's called yeah it big, oh yeah uh, i don't remember but it was uh it was sad it was, it was yeah. very sad um dies on a, <laughs> yeah he dies in a, like an old school bus uh with a rancid meat like five feet away from plant yeah yeah like what the hell um that's what uh, alaska's really like though i mean those are the people that go to alaska yeah see for me it's like in my part of brooklyn uh if i'm hungry uh i can walk three blocks and get like amazing italian food right or japanese good, food uh, or, or yeah. yeah exactly well enough about alaska you graduate from high school mm -hmm. and you end up going back to dc i believe I went to college first and after oh. college, I came to DC. Yes. Where was college? Um, where wasn't college? <laughs> <laughs> well, this sounds, cause I looked, okay, well, I, I don't, then I don't see it on the old resume, which I did my little research and not enough apparently. <laughs> I went to Mills college, uh, in California for the first two years, which, um, was a great education, but also I just wanted to get warm after being in Wisconsin and Alaska. <laughs> Where in California was Mill? It was in Oakland. So, I mean, Northern California isn't the warmest, but I was happy to be studying by the pool and not in snowbanks up to my shoulders. So. Oh, yeah. My wife's from San Francisco, so and I've been there a ton. You, no, it's not Alaska. That's true. It's not Alaska. <laughs> it was a pool, an outdoor pool on campus. <laughs> it was like, That's a win. Uh, that was a win. Um, and then I did a semester at Wesleyan, the one in Georgia, not the fancy one. Okay. And then I finished at Northland College in Northern Wisconsin, which is a little environmental liberal arts college. Um, my mother was at the time running the environmental institute that was affiliated with the college. And so I got free tuition and I was looking at my student loans and I said, uh, free college. <laughs> Looks free good. college is free great college. college. <laughs> Yes. College. Yeah, because those first couple of years at Mills and then Wesleyan, not not cheap. No, but you couldn't stay just doing that. You went to conservatory. So then that's right. Yes. Then I went, then I came back to DC and I went to the Studio Theater Conservatory and was here for two years, I think. Um, and then I moved to Minneapolis. I was young. <laughs> Let's say I was young. Um, my father had died and maybe I thought it was a good idea to be around more family or I don't know. I just thought. So then I took a class or three at the Guthrie and started getting some, uh, landed some roles in some local theaters, some I mean, the, professional than others. I mean, the Guthrie is a very well-known place and yeah. must have been a great experience. Yeah. yeah. And then a family friend said to me, I don't think you'll be happy unless you get your graduate degree in acting. And I thought, she's right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> what a good observation. <laughs> so I hired a coach and I took a, like an audition for graduate school class. Um, and then I hired another coach and another coach. Um, I must have... I worked for a year, like it was my job on my graduate school audition. Well, clearly that was, it paid off because uh, for those listening who don't know, um, both undergrad and grad, either BFA or MFA, the acting programs in the United States, I'm sure there's a bunch of them and I'm sure they're great. But if you want to 
have more of a career or you want to come out with look, getting easier access to agents and managers and stuff, those kind of people go to see young actors graduating from these programs at specific schools, often referred to as the league schools. They're kind of like the Ivy League of acting schools. Some include the Ivy League, but some do not. Mm-hmm. And just off the top of my head, I can think of, well, you know, Yale, um, Carnegie Mellon, uh, Brandeis. University of California, San Diego has an extraordinary, UC Irvine. Um, University of Washington, Seattle had a like a number two program for years. I don't, I don't know where it's ranked now, but great. Harvard. Of course, NYU. Don't forget NYU. Oh, yeah, right. Harvard, but NYU. With, but, you know, when you say NYU, there's like... 300 different acting schools in NYU. So you got to be careful. You got to choose your Stella Adler or your <laughs> Atlantic <laughs> theater or yeah, five friends who teach at those places. Um, more the Stella Adler, uh, but I digress. So you go to Brandeis, which by the way, do they talk about their alums because they have some very big name alums? You know, it's such a strange, you know, when I was there, it was in huge transition. My first year, the graduate program is a three-year program and not all of them are, some are, are two years. And my first year was the final year of the guy who'd been running the department for 17 years. So it was his last year. So my second year was the interim year while they did the search for the new head of the department. And my final year had that head. Um, and my year... Um, was the first year that didn't have a class come in behind us. They were going to take one class every three years. So when I arrived, there were third years, second years, and us. My second year, there were third years and us. And our last year, there was us. (laughs) Wow. So in a way, we got a lot of attention. But in a way, it it was not cohesive, you know, because there was somebody different running the program every year. And um, Was there a fear of getting cut? Because I know like Juilliard. It did did get cut. The graduate acting program got cut eventually, several years later. Um, Oh, no, that's not what I meant. I'm sorry. I mean, is there a fear of getting cut from the program when you're an actor? No, no, uh uh-uh. No, not for us. Okay. Um, I know that does happen. I think Robin Williams got kicked out. (laughs) Yeah, it really ended. Well, it did end badly, but not for that reason. But not his (laughs) career. I mean, No, not at all. Not even, yeah. not even a little bit. Uh, Gorgeous career. Oh. Wow, really great guy. Anyway, um, so yeah, you're saying that they, nosedive. <laughs> did you? Did you? So, so you're saying they don't have an MFA anymore? They do not this? have an MFA program anymore. Um, I, I think it might be my fault because. Mills College no longer is Mills College either. And so I'm leaving, like most of my degrees, the program doesn't exist anymore. So (laughs) do you have any like stock certificates of old railroads that you bought and no longer exist? (laughs) Well, maybe we ought to get you out of DC because I don't know how to tell you this, but things have not been going great down there. It's been a little frightening. Did you watch TV last night? By the way, we're recording this the day after the first like evening of talking about the January 6th stuff. And I don't want to drag us into politics, although I do, but uh, oh my God. I wish we could, but since I'm not allowed to say things. (laughs) Yeah, let's not have you do that. Let's get get back to your amazing career. Um, Was the year that we were in Into the Woods together, what year of your MFA was that? So that was my final year. That was our third year. And... um, that was right before we all went off to New York and Boston and did our showcases for agents and managers. So by that point, we were all pretty thoroughly, rigorously trained. You know, they'd stripped away everything that was a bad habit and like rebuilt us as lean, mean acting machines. And <laughs> so by that point, I don't know if you remember this, but I was diagnosed with walking pneumonia like a week before we were supposed to start rehearsals? I do now. And there was an understudy for you who was also in the MFA program, oh, who's right. shorter. That's right. I don't remember her name. And she moved right. to like California or something. But your your co-stepsister was a woman named Rachel Zamparelli. 
Yes. And Rachel is here in DC and she has a great career. She's at like Ford's theater and signature. She has a wonderful career here. And she recently did into the woods and played the witch. Oh, she'd be great. She was great. Probably. I took my daughter to see (gasps) it. And my daughter said she was, you know, I think maybe she was in fifth grade at the time. And she was starting to think maybe musical theater wasn't cool. And she was like, is it going to be cheesy? And I said, well, you tell me, let's go see the show. And, and you tell me if it's cheesy or not. And at intermission, I said, is it cheesy? And she goes, no, well, the princes are. And I said, yeah, but they're supposed to be. <laughs> she said, yeah. And we're looking at the, um, the program and the pictures and stuff. And I told her, you know, I, I, was in a different version of this show with this actress who's playing the witch. And she said, can we stay after and meet her? And we did. And and I saw Rachel and she took a picture with my daughter. It was all very adorable. Um, But it it was one of those moments of like into the woods just keeps coming round in my life. It just comes back again. And Rachel with it. Thank goodness. Mm -hmm. I have to, I will tell a secret on myself that show. I don't, there's only two shows that I've actually cried in as an actor. One was a show that I did called Brooklyn Boy after Into the Woods. They paid me to do a semi-pro thing, but they gave me the equity thing, whatever they did. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, in this show called Brooklyn Boy, which was written by Donald Margulies. Um, and long story short, at the end, I have a scene with my dead father and um, I could, I felt myself choke up and, people in the front row start to cry. So I guess I did a good job, but I'm in into the woods at the end when there's a finale and they're doing the whole children will listen. Mm -hmm. And I have to come out and we're all coming out for the, this big dance number. And I'm hearing some children will listen and I'm just a freaking wreck on like every night we're doing a show for weeks i was until we get to sing let's deep those stuff but you may lose the path you may lose you know anyway um so that's my little secret uh and yes actors are often moved in performance at least i'll speak for myself i am often moved but that's because you're available you're i mean you got to stay in the show you can't go I can't take it and run off. Right. Right. And you have to channel whatever is happening through the lines or the actions that you need to perform. And um, sometimes that can really, I mean, if, if you're good at that little, you know, funneling that through, it, it can be really um, a magical moment in your performance sometimes <laughs> you're not feeling the thing that you think you're supposed to be feeling and you have to really play against. And that can be powerful too, right? Sure. Sure. Suppressing a laugh or a weep during the whatever I bet. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, back to, uh, I'm going to contact Rachel when we get off and just say, Hey, we spoke and, because she, she was lovely. Um, but so uh, you, I'm sorry, you, you, you graduated from the MFA program and did you go to New York or what no, did you end I up doing? No, I did not. I, I didn't. Um, I knew that I wanted to come here eventually. Um, here being DC? Here being Washington. Yeah. I knew I wanted to come back here eventually. I had been here as a child. I'd been here after undergraduate and I just knew, you know, it's a beautiful city and there are 80 some professional theaters and I knew I could have a good career. You know, I knew I could have a solid career here. I didn't want to do the big fight in New York. Now, if I had known at the time what I know now, I would have gone to New York for a year and gotten a couple of New York credits because the second you walk into any DC theater audition and they see New York on your resume, they're all starry-eyed. So mm. I, 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 if I had known that, <laughs> I sure would have done a brief stint in New York just to, just to get something. But I didn't. I came straight from into the woods uh, uh, to D.C. I had to wait for our run to finish to get here. And Rachel Zampelli and I had driven down a few months earlier, 
or a few weeks earlier to do what they used to have this huge league audition where tons of people from every theater came mm-hmm. and you would perform, you know, one three minute audition and then people would call you. So we had done that and I was starting to get calls, but we were still doing the performances of Into the Woods. And I was, I was trying to like put people off or I would drive down on Monday <laughs> and do an audition and come back in time for our shows that week. Um, so it was kind of goofy, but then yes, I, I came straight here. I knew I wanted to be here eventually. And so now I've been here for, how long has it been? 17 years. That can't be. 17 years. <laughs> You're killing me. Yeah. yeah. Well, that explains why I look so weathered on the Zoom. That's <laughs> oh, been a hard, hard 17 years, whatever for me, I got to tell you. Uh, a couple, a divorce, a house sale, a couple other things we won't go yeah. into. But um, a pandemic. Oh, yeah, the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to zip through the acting stuff too. Like, how long have you, because you've been doing voice work for a long time. Well, almost right away, it seems, based yeah. on what I'm looking at. How did that happen? Yeah, it's it was an interesting... I was doing the hustle, you know, the hard hustle. I was working seven days a week. I was, you know, I would, I would have some film shoot, and then I would go to a table read for something, and then I would run to an audition, and then get on a bus overnight to be on set in New York at 5 a.m. for some film. It was, it was, you know, seven days a week. I was not sleeping. <laughs> and this is before having a child, obviously. This was before having a child. And I was very lucky that I had um, a spouse who was very supportive and had a regular, you know, job with a salary and benefits so that I could take that time and really just, you know, take whatever work came and not worry about how much it was paying me um, just to get the experience and the credits. And, and, and so I was doing all kinds of stuff. I was doing film and theater and standardized patient stuff and, you know, whatever came, I did it. And um, I was starting to get some good traction. Um, And then my marriage fell apart and it was, we had a baby and then the marriage fell apart and, um, I had to really, you know, choose carefully, you know, you can't just go out for everything because babysitters cost a lot of money. So, um, before my daughter was born, I had started a theater company with two other actors and we were making audio versions of Shakespeare and other stuff kids have to learn in school. And we met with the program director at WAMU, the local NPR station here. And they had some good ideas and they wanted to try us out and put us on their HD3 station. And we developed a partnership, long story short. And while we were working on, I think the first show we did with them, maybe the second one, um, they, their underwriting voice position came open. So they asked me to audition for it and they auditioned me for it so hard. I've never had to audition so hard for anything. I mean, Into the Woods was a much easier audition. (laughs) When you say underwriting voice, why don't you explain to the listeners what you mean? Okay. So those are the funding credits. Those are, you know, like support for your local station comes from Bob's Fishing and Tackle, you know, or whatever. They always use the same voice talent to do that? Um, some, some stations, the host does it like whoever's hosting that hour reads them. Bigger stations have a dedicated voice. Yeah. As you say that, you know, I think of WGBH when I lived in Boston for like 20 years, I think they have a voice of a person. Yeah. I don't know about NYC because I don't really watch or, uh, NYT, NET, whatever 13 is here. Anyway. So you're the voice of public television or public, public radio? Radio. So it was, okay. but it was just the local station. And so I was. Well, but in DC, that's a, a big pretty market. big market because. Yeah. You, the new, just, I, I would assume that the, regardless of the number of general public human beings in DC, I would guess there's a lot of NPR or, you know, public radio listeners per person or per capita or whatever, because 
everybody works for the government. And yeah. it's really like yeah. news is a big deal for those people. And there and then, are like a bajillion universities here and NPR listeners skew toward master's degrees. Yeah. <laughs> degrees. So yeah. Um, yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge market here, huge listenership. Um, and then I was in that gig for, I'd say about four years when the national gig, the NPR same job just for the national uh, opened. And so I, you know, put my audition together and I sent it over. They didn't even interview me. They didn't even consider me for the job. <laughs> I didn't even make it to the top five. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, just like Ed Sheeran got turned down from every record label at least twice, you know, if you're out there and you're, you're getting rejected, don't worry about it, keep going because they didn't even interview me and I have the job now. So I like that you use Ed Sheeran. It makes me feel so freaking old because <laughs> the story we told was this little band called the Beatles. <laughs> they got rejected by everybody uh, except for uh, Parlophone, which didn't even do rock and roll. They did like comedy records and their producer who took them on George Martin did classical music and a funny group called the goons which, oh uh, and, but he just liked them. Yep. He was okay with their music, but he thought together they were something. Anyway, but yeah. that's 1962, three, four, something like that. But Ed Sheeran, I know, is Time. newer. And by the way, <laughs> I love him in not one, but two acting things that I've seen him do. Oh, what's he doing? There was a movie I saw him in called Yesterday, which is, uh, this is not a spoiler, it's the conceit of the movie. The, we, there's a world where suddenly the Beatles don't exist. Oh, yeah. I saw that movie. I loved that movie yep. so hard. I was afraid it was going to upset me because I'm such a Beatles fan. All it did was re-energize uh, my love for the Beatles. Yeah. Uh, and I thought Sharon was amazing. And then there was a, a TV show shot I think it was an Amazon Prime original called Modern Love. It was like a multi-part oh, yeah. series. Yeah, like short stories. Yeah. Yeah. And it was shot in my neighborhood. Like I can tell you all these little things. I'm like, oh, I know where that is. Oh, that's around the corner from where I live. Oh, that's my, you know. Oh, and um, it has some of my favorite actors, including the guy who played Moriarty in the more recent Sherlock Holmes. Oh, with, he's so good. Oh, he's good in everything. But when he's Moriarty, he did two things that he rocked me when he was that but Moriarty he's like the most evil MFR. Um and then also uh in uh uh oh, what's her name that uh fleabag when he's oh, the yeah. sexy priest is that what it's yes I won't go too deep into that but you've watched it right yeah I can tell by your laughing that fleabag is amazing fleabag we is neither so of us have anything to do with it but Phoebe Waller whatever and mm -hmm. uh, uh, brilliant, great actress, great writer. Her asides to the camera. You know, talk about Shakespeare. So here's what's interesting, as long as we're talking about this. What I love about Shakespeare and what you probably bring to the table and what you did back then is uh, I took a Shakespeare class with Rick, the guy who was the artistic director and director at New, Eng New England Rep. Is that what new, it's called? New Repertory Theater. New, uh, in, in Newton, Massachusetts at the time. And um, there's no subtext. Like the, 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 the actors pretty much say what's going on. And if there is any subtext, they just talk directly to the audience and say, by the way, this yeah. is how I feel. <laughs> in case you couldn't figure it out. <laughs> My favorite is Richard III, where he's like being incredibly awful and getting away with it. And he turns to the audience. He's like, can you believe I'm getting away with this? Like, I mean, it's so, he's like, he makes an awful villain, a comic character. Yeah, anyway, I love Shakespeare. Kids, I know you, people, they're the classics for a reason. Don't you agree, Just? Yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, there's a reason why hundreds of years later, we're still producing those plays, for sure. So your voice is awesome for people who haven't noticed in the last <laughs> half hour and 40 minutes. You don't smoke, do you? I do not. I Good. do not. I, did, I do not smoke. It would be an occupational bad idea. Um, I do not smoke. I drink about, I don't know, 70 some ounces of water every day. 
Uh, I have my one coffee and then I'm done to get the gook out of my throat before I have to open a mic. I take, I take care. I take care. I do my warmups every day. I do my, you know, I train my voice. I, I do all the, the care and keeping, um, not certainly the level that I was doing while in graduate school, but also I'm not on stage these days and I don't need the, the power and the, the perfection that you need on stage. The microphone is, you know, it's like somebody's ear right next to you. You, you don't, you don't have to get so, uh, you don't have to be so precise, you know, I mean, on stage, those final consonants really need to be perfect. You don't want people to, to you don't want people to turn to somebody else and go, what did she say? say? (laughs) On the microphone, if you use that kind of diction, you will sound like a robot. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, I have a friend who's a vocal coach uh, and she works at Juilliard teaching and some other places too. And she has the best diction of any human being I've ever spoken to. Uh, She's great. She's been on the show. Her name is Susan Fitch. Um, but, uh, I saw a great documentary produced at the BBC, uh, called sound breaking where they talk about the music business and they talk about the technological advances, like the studio multi-track recording, but they talk about the microphone and how, when you hear a recording of Al Jolson, he is yelling basically because they would yell into a cone and that would be recorded. But then Bing Crosby comes along when they have this electronic microphone and you get Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra Uh and those guys who it feels like they're singing just to you. It's so intimate. Yeah. Yeah. So the microphone can be your best friend, obviously. It can. And, and, you know, sometimes there's like a trendy microphone. Everybody wants the whatever, but really it's more important to match the microphone to your voice because every voice is different and every voice will have a mic that brings out the best. You know, I'm lucky that the mic they gave me is really well suited to my voice. (laughs) I'm lucky, but everybody at NPR, when we were in the, when we were in the building pre pandemic was on the same mic and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the same for every voice, you know? So. Wait, so let me back up a second. So you were working at the studios and then pandemic hits and they say, here, take this mic, go home. Is that what happens? The, the fortune smiled upon me. The, NPR had actually built a studio in my home before the pandemic. So, wow. Yeah. So I was already on their equipment in my house. And I mean, I was still going to work, you know, but if, if I was, you know, if something came up and I had to work from home, I had a studio built by an NPR engineer with the beautiful U87 hanging there. (laughs) So I am, I'm fortunate. Everybody else who went home, well, most of the people who went home were scrambling, you know, they're grabbing kits and yeah. hiding under their bedspreads and crouching in closets. And this is what some people do. I mean, I, I have a very not good setup for this podcast. I'll be honest. It's kind of on the fly. I mean, with my, this is a brand new laptop, but I've been using the same Mac air, uh, uh, garage band. I have a Tascam kind of thing with some of these, you know, I'm showing uh-huh. you like a foam thing that kind of surrounded as best I can. And yep. Uh, but you can hear Brooklyn, and that's just oh, yeah. I, I chalk that up to charm. I just say that's what yeah. makes my show what it is. But I'm not on NPR, so I don't have to, <laughs> you, don't have you know, to. do that at all. Um, I do know someone who does a ton of voiceover here in New York. She's also been in my show, Carolee Goodgold, and she does all the ads and stuff. And she has you know a setup in a closet that she designed, and but she did that pre-pandemic because there there came a point in that work where they would call you and say, can you do this? Like, we need it now. They don't even want an audition. They're just going to hire you and just like, do it. Give me five versions of it and send it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do any of that? Or are you just now an NPR person? No, I do. It's um, it's tricky for me because there are so many potential conflicts of interest. Um, because as one of the voices of NPR, even though I'm not a journalist, I represent NPR. And so there's a huge code of conduct of, you know, all kinds of stuff that you can do or not do. And, and so every time I am approached for outside work, 
I have to go through the standards and ethics guy and say, is it okay for me to do this work? And so there are some things that I can do that are, you know, no problem. You know, I'm doing a voiceover for um, the Swiss embassy, for instance, or um, a horse ranch. Um, But I can't do um, anything that might even be perceived as some sort of affiliation with a cause or um, a, a political thing. The gorilla people came to me and they wanted me to voice Coco the gorilla. And I really wanted to do it, but I really couldn't because it would could potentially be viewed as advocacy for that nonprofit. So I was not Coco the gorilla. <laughs> I, I do want to say that while I'm sorry, and you must be disappointed, the notion that the gorilla people came to you put a picture in my head. I had set, actually it was more than one picture. I had literally half person, half gorilla people in my head coming to you. I also had a series of around 1962, you know, Che Guevara types coming to you as well. Um, None of which is what you're talking about, just to be clear. And uh, listeners, if you don't know who Che Guevara was, uh, there's Google and uh, you should be ashamed. Uh, Exactly. Um, uh, Yeah, you know, but then something really cool will come along because it's NPR and um, I'll get to do something really rad. You know, um, a director came to me Ooh, maybe even a year ago now and said, I'm shooting this film starring Kate Blanchett and I want to do this scene where your voice is on her radio and she's responding to you. And I was like, oh my God, first of all, Kate Blanchett, ah! like <laughs> deity. Are you kidding me? Second of all, um, can I come to a studio and work with her? No. I mean, <laughs> just wanted me to track from my closet and send it over. Dang it. Um so, you know, stuff like that happens, though. And suddenly, you know, my IMDb profile has a credit of me in a movie with Kate Blanchett. And fingers crossed, I get to go to the premiere and meet her, right? Can I know what the movie's called? Uh, it's called Tar, T-A-R. Cool. You know, I saw her in person. One of the cool things about living in Brooklyn is that apparently now I have, I live in a movie star neighborhood. Uh, long before I knew her, my wife bought in this building, this was... I live in an old furniture factory that was turned into lofts and I've got like a 14 foot ceiling and it's beautiful. We just renovated. You can sort of see my new kitchen behind me. Um, but anyway, uh, but like I walked by Matt Damon and Ethan Hawke and like oh all these gosh. people. And oh so gosh. Kate doesn't live here, but she, we were in Dumbo, which is a neighborhood near where I live. And she was there with some kids and a husband and whatever. And she was wearing a Gucci jumpsuit. Oh my God. And yeah, and like all this Chanel jewelry, like I think it was Chanel. Did Chanel make jewelry? It, it might have been Tiffany too. I don't remember. It's a little intense, but there was like gold chains around the jumpsuit holding was it in place. In a, was she in a scene? Was this like a. a no, she was getting film? coffee and lunch for her kids. She was probably on her way to or from a meeting. That's because, so you know, that's the only reason I think she would kind of be around there yeah. it was probably if i had to guess she was probably doing press for oceans eight oh, which shit. is one of my like comfort films during oh. the pandemic oh. well i love every woman in that especially i kind of want to meet aquafina i think i would cry if i met her and sandra bullock okay. i cry all the time anyway. um but uh i just think everyone in that that was a really great movie uh Anywho, I don't know. I I do have a little ADD. Uh, my wife used to be a special ed educator, and we were we were working during the pandemic. This is very interesting. So I used to have an office uh, downtown the financial district. I now work pretty much from my home, and um, so we were in the pandemic. We're walking across. We're working across a dining room table from each other, and we've got our laptops open. I'm doing stuff, and I'm also watching a TV show that I always watch on my, on my uh, phone, the West wing. Okay. DC. I'm watching the West wing. It's comfort food for me. Mm -hmm. And she's like, Oh, I, I get it now. You have ADD. I was like, what? She's like coffee. Yeah. You need to have your coffee. The, uh, she used to think that I would know all this stuff about movies and TV 
because I wasn't really working. I was just watching TV all day. She didn't realize like I needed to have part of my brain distracted by that so so I could do the work. Otherwise, I'm everywhere. It's I don't recommend it for anybody. It's just like I found a way to make that work for me, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. I'm mostly functional. We are very adaptable as human creatures. Right. I mean, have you seen that with your your daughter? Uh, Just are you amazed being a parent? Or because you didn't do like the parent classes as part of your MFA. I didn't. And it is a weird, I mean, every parent says this, right? Like it's a crazy ride, you know, buckle up. Um, But as I said, she, she is phenomenal. She came out like a little Grogu, you know, she came out very. What's that? The baby Yoda in the news. Oh, thank you. Yeah. She, she's like very centered and very wise and she doesn't speak unless she needs to, like she was three sitting in the car seat and she would say super insightful, intelligent, wise things. And I was like, you, this is not your first trip around this planet. This is like, (laughs) doesn't that make you believe in that stuff though? (laughs) I mean, soul seems like kind of a cheesy concept, but also she could have been like a Dalai Lama. I mean, she was like, she was grounded and centered and she didn't, she didn't throw temper tantrums. She didn't, I mean, I'm, I'm just super lucky. And now, now that she's a hormonal teenager, when she does get sort of snotty at me, I'm so surprised by it that I'm mm-hmm. like, what is happening? Like, I just don't even know what is going on. (laughs) And then I remember, all right, uh, hormone poisoning. (laughs) Yeah, that's a real thing. I I mean, I think I've talked about on the show. I go to a doctor who I was like, "Eh, my life, I was not that interested in things. Like he gave me testosterone. He says, your testosterone is like non-existent. And, you know, you put the rub on stuff and suddenly like, I'm into life again. I won't go yeah. too into it, but like every part of it, you know, and, yeah. it's just, and <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. You know, you, you can, thing. you can still be active in every aspect of your life. at 60 that's years cool. old. Yeah. Um, so, so is this, this is basically your main job being the voice of NPR? Yeah, it's my main job. I also do a bunch of private coaching, a lot of voice coaching. I'm the voice coach for NPR and I do private coaching. So being um, voice coach for NPR, was just a, um, that means you have talent come on and they're not, they may be good, but they're not NPR good yet. Or what's that involved? Yeah, or I, I wouldn't say NPR good. There's uh, predominantly there's something in the water, you know, there's this collective unconscious idea that to be on NPR, you need to sound a certain way that there's this form that you need to fit into. And we like that old SNL skit, like, you know, the, the, the cooking people, which does by the way, sound like a kind of NPR thing. And so we're trying so hard to break that idea that most of the coaching that I do is taking radio voice away from people and helping them to just speak like themselves. And that's oh. harder than it sounds. It's harder than, than you would think to. Well, what do you mean? Jess? What could that, what could that <laughs> possibly be? I don't understand. Yeah. Sound like you're speaking, sound like you're genuinely yeah. in the moment talking uh, to another person, even though you've got words on a page that you're picking up, even if it's just bullet points and you're trying to formulate these ideas and you've got a clock running down and, you know, it, it's, it's a lot. So most of what I do is help people expand their own voices and give them the tools that they need to help them be themselves, which is a great gig. Um, I think I mentioned to you before we met today in, in an email or something that one of my huge things right now is this like what about diversity you know public media has been for so long so white and we are working so hard to not only be not so white but also not so cookie cutter you know that Mm -hmm. people should sound like who they are and where they're from no matter where they're from and so a lot of the questions I'm fielding are like what about ask versus acts? You know, like, what do we do? And um, it's it's a really interesting 
time for public media because we have so many opportunities to make changes uh, to be more authentically representative of what America is. I mean, it's in the mission statement. We, public radio was created to look and sound like America. And for decades, we haven't done that. So that's where, that's where I am right now. And that I got to say is probably the most exciting part of my job right now is, is working with folks who maybe have historically been marginalized. And I get an opportunity to say, don't change a dang thing. You just be you and let's get your storytelling, you know, crafted beautifully so that your communication really connects with somebody and whoever that somebody may be. Maybe we make a longtime listener sort of upset because something's different, but maybe somebody else turns on the radio and says, that person sounds like somebody from my neighborhood. And that's Terry, a good thing. That's really interesting. You know, uh, two of the people that I listen to the most on NPR, first of all, I listen because I get it downloaded on my phone. Sorry, but I do them as podcasts. Like Terry Gross, yep. who sounds very much like herself and very NPR uh, in her way. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, wait, wait, don't tell me, is that Peter Gross? Um, and then occasionally Peter Ira Sinkle. Glass. Peter mm -hmm. Sinkle, sorry. Ira Glass is another. Um, and these are all very specific people, but they are incredibly white. I recently heard, I can't remember what it was, but, you know, WNYC, the public radio in in New York city. And there was a young woman who I'm going to say this, I guess you could write me at www.isthatreallylegal.com. She <laughs> was a woman of color and I could tell, and she was younger and she had a style that I was almost like, Hey, Hey, you're on national public radio. You're too, not colloquial, but she seemed almost too friendly. Casual. <laughs> yeah. Casual. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I could see the need for that because at some point, yeah. Um, all of me and the people like me are going to be dead and they're not going to be writing checks yep. and you really need to, and by the way, everyone's entitled to really great programming. You know, the cool thing about NPR is not just the news. There's, I mean, it's funny. It's interesting. Uh, you know, people should just go to NPR.org and see all of the shows. And then of course, go to your local stations, yeah. see what's offered there. It's actually I know there's a reputation, uh, maybe it's just in my head, so I apologize, but it's sort of like, no, we're not going to just talk about 18th century English literature or, you know, 12th <laughs> century frescoes or whatever. The thing. Like they, there's important stuff and it's not just politics. There's a lot of cutting edge arts. And yeah. I, I remember I heard someone talking about synesthesia. And I was never heard of that before. And if you don't know what that is, that's for people, I hope I don't butcher this. Some people have their pathways in their brains so that they crisscross so they can taste colors or hear numbers. Um, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> well, this has been amazing. Is there anything we, by the way, I definitely, not definitely handled that. I know we have to wrap up. So what, um, and just so people know, what, what it was, so yeah, we got to wrap it up. So is there anything we should have talked about that we didn't? Uh, we'll just have to have you back. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, I'll come back when you, when you have the reunion of Into the Woods uh, episode. <laughs> oh my God, what a great idea. Well, listen, you know, Jessica Hansen, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I just had the best time. I'm so oh glad God. to see you again. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been super fun to see you again. And what a, what a delightful conversation. <laughs> it's been really fun. Isn't Jessica amazing? I love her. I loved her from the moment I saw her, even though we've been not in contact except Facebook. Um, it was great to reconnect. And she uh, is one of those people with an amazing journey. And uh, just like you, um, we're going to have more amazing guests who have had these amazing journeys. So keep listening. Go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. You can look back if you're a new listener. We have had so many episodes with so many interesting people. They're all available free. Just go to the website and take a look and listen and what have you. Uh, you'll be glad you did. 
Um, these uh, throw an Abe's muffin in your face. They are non-allergenic, so if your kid can't eat certain things, maybe they can eat that. And they don't taste like the cardboard they come in. They're really good. I eat them. They're that good. Um, so please keep listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can go to the website and do that. Subscribe, rate, you know, the usual things. Happy Pride, by the way, as this uh, wraps up. And um, please take care of yourselves. Let's get out there. These elections really matter. Throw some money at the right candidates. Start doing some volunteering. You can do it from your home. You'd be surprised what the opportunities are. If you're curious, you can also go to www.isthatreallylegal.com. Ask me. I will help you find the best way that works for your time. And we'll just see what we can do. Okay, be well, take care of yourself and the people around you, and uh, we'll be back soon. Bye-bye.